Hey, Jerry, how you doing? I am good. How are you, Randy? Good. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. This is Jerry from Fight Commentary Breakdowns. Mm -hmm. He's here to visit us today, and uh, we'll have a conversation and see what comes of it. Awesome. Thanks for the invite, and I'm always glad to be on your show. Yeah, I had a good talk when uh, when I visited you a few weeks ago, or actually, it might have been a couple months now. Yeah. Time's fine. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your claim to fame, if you will, right now is uh, you you started this channel, Fight Commentary Breakdown, and you got a team of people that you do that with. Mm -hmm. uh, what what got that started? So it was actually a funny story. Um, 2012, I took my first Kempo lesson. And so a credit goes to Donnie Jeffcoat, man. I love the guy. But it got me back into martial arts because I hadn't done martial arts in high school. And I yep. was always so angry and I couldn't understand why. So college, I didn't do martial arts because I went to an Ivy League school. I was supposed to like study, study, you know, go on whatever right. path that Ivy League was supposed to go on. But I was never happy either. So 2012, yeah. I was in L.A. and I randomly walked into Donnie Jeffcoat's um, Shallon American Self-Defense Academy. And it made me realize, oh, yeah, what I was missing those eight years of my life was martial arts because I quit. I, I was a kung fu karate kid and I quit martial arts at the end of middle school. So then seeing Kempo is kind of almost like you could call it adapted Kung Fu, adapted karate, maybe more yeah. modernized, et cetera. And I was like, wow. So I can Dream almost on. see the functionality of some of the stuff I was doing when I was in middle school and, and elementary school and stuff like that. So that's when I realized, you know what? I really want to capture the evolution of martial arts. So it started in 2012. That's when the idea came. But it took four years for it to get launched off the ground because I just wasn't familiar with the YouTube ecosystem. I wasn't familiar with how to edit well. I wasn't familiar with how to get a team together, how to do it efficiently. Right. So it took four years, but four years later, I started fight commentary breakdowns in August of 2016. And at that time, I had a friend who was a collaborator, Trevor Smith, who now teaches at MMA lab. And so he helped me with the first six videos. And then he hated LA. So he went back to Arizona. He loves Arizona. <laughs> and then with those six videos, that's how the channel got started. But then after 2016, I found other people, including Rob Watt, who's um, the main collaborator now. Um, Rob yep. Watt's an MMA guy, jujitsu guy. So once, once you learn how to make the content, how to source the content, how to make the content, find its audience and how, how to find efficient collaborators, then it started taking off. So yeah. um, long story short, I was a martial artist who stopped martial arts, who wanted to get back into martial arts and somehow watching other people fight, watching other people and learning from their mistakes and their lessons was the way gateway to get me back into training martial arts myself. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. whatever works, right? Whatever, yeah, exactly. Uh, inspires us. Yeah. But what, uh, so just starting that channel though, you seem to focus on an element of commentary on not so much in professional fights right more amateur level stuff like challenge matches and whatnot what yes. led you in that direction to so um i think what really led me into that direction was just one convenience of two copyright because i knew ufc wouldn't oh, let yeah. me do commentary on their stuff right but tfc the five on five russian league you know they they took yep. place in latvia but the founder of it mikhail is russian so i know him so, and I know Jody, the American um, representative of team fighting championships. So I knew those guys. So I knew okay. they would let me analyze their footage and that's how it started. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. I want to analyze stuff and learn lessons. What doesn't have commentary and will let me do commentary. 
and it was TFC. So that's yeah. why I, I was the first one to give TFC commentary. The first season, the wild season where people's heads were getting thrown into tires and stuff, it had no commentary. So me and wow. Trevor Smith did the commentary. That's that's our channel's claim to fame. You know, oh, that's I, cool. Nice. Yeah. I realized yeah. that people watching it wanted commentary. Commentary yeah. makes or breaks fights, or else it's just it just literally feels like a gang brawl. Especially too to the uninitiated eye, they have trouble seeing what's going on and yeah. identifying it. So yeah. Having someone sit there and explain, oh, this is what's going on here. Yeah. That's it'd be like me watching football because yeah. I don't really know football. Yeah. And uh, if I were watching it and there were no commentary, I'd be like, oh, okay. They yeah. throw the ball, uh, they kick the ball, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a bunch yeah. of lines on the field, numbers. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then um, after TFC, Street Beefs let me use their footage. So, you know, okay. it just started from there. Street Beast, super nice people, um, Chris Wilmore. And they're just like, yeah, well, we have lots of footage. You can analyze whatever. So, you know, it, it kind of right. just builds on itself. And now all these leagues, like I just got in touch with them, this German league called Defend Club or Defend Fight Club. They're, they're recently doing all these like Wing Chun versus MMA fights like on the grass and stuff. So their stuff slightly uh, more – um. Yeah, but like I can analyze their stuff and I'm actually going to send them a list of questions so that way I can like if, besides my analysis also like give more information on the league which is what I always try to do. I always try to add value. Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so cool. it just built on itself. So did you guys see uh when all these challenge matches in China started up with uh against the fake masters did yes. you see a spike in yeah. your viewership go up? And that's how the channel really went viral because before that, um, Xu Xiaodong started appearing in the West. I had yeah. maybe five viral videos, but once Xu Xiaodong, I started covering Xu Xiaodong, it was consistently viral because I was one of the few who could actually translate everything from the Chinese oh, websites. Yeah. 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 That's that man that gave you a niche, didn't it? Yeah. It gave me a niche. Unfortunately, now, the that kind of challenge match is going on less and less because China keeps cracking down on that. So yeah. <laughs> I have to find new niches. But for a while, it was like <laughs> that was my channel. Everyone's like, dude, you you cover Shu Xiaonong. That's so cool. Yeah, that's um, I was wondering about that about the spike. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of rocket shipped you guys. Uh, it's from the sounds of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Um, so. Today, I thought um, we'd talk a little bit about just martial arts, general martial arts, but you wanted to also discuss some ego in sparring. What were yeah. your thoughts on that? This is I a just, big uh, – yeah. I got a, a big uh, cat uh, catalog of stuff on that because that's a big deal to me yeah, myself. Yeah, definitely. So and I just – be a good conversation. From from my experience, there's there's ways of sparring that don't require you to always risk injuring other people, right? Yeah. And I, I have a coach where we spar and we're just very technical. We're very light. It's not like we're just like, Ugh, but we're like, we tap each other. But it's not like right. I hit you so hard. You're like, ouch, right? That's not the point of sparring. I mean, there there is that kind of sparring maybe to prepare you if you're going to really go fight somewhere. But right now, that's not my point. I'm not trying to, not trying to go yeah, fight. No. I mean, I would argue that if you – bring it to that level before you're going to go to the fight, your chances of getting injured before the fight go up exponentially. Yeah. yeah. And then you can't fight because yeah. you're hurt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there is that argument too. And I guess um, where I'm getting to this is that it, it's, 
I feel like so much of why combat sports always gets a bad rap is is literally because people are always getting hurt before they ever compete or do whatever. There's just there's so much things that we could work on about the training aspects. Absolutely. Can lighten the load, so to speak, when it comes to injuries. Because, you know, I give credit. I've been doing boxing, I've been doing Muay Thai, et cetera. But my coaches are all very safe. And I actually haven't, I had a very, very minor rotator cuff tear, but it was nothing. I, I, I you know, I cured it by doing a lot of these pull exercises. But yeah. I have had fewer injuries doing striking all these months than I have done doing jujitsu. And jujitsu is right. supposed to be the safe martial art right you just was a yeah. safe soft martial art. but doing boxing doing muay thai and with light sparring i haven't gotten hurt yet so like but it made me re-examine a lot of these like biases that or these myths that are being sold to us about which martial arts are safe etc yeah i agree um th- i think that with jujitsu especially one of the things that or a couple of factors that play into it is as soon as somebody gets on the ground their their stress level goes up yeah their anxiety right especially with somebody laying on top of them. Yeah. So they're going to, they, they start to go into panic mode, especially with uh, newer uh, white belts and whatnot. Yeah. And you're not acclimated to that crucible yet. Yeah. And you have no skills. So it's like the only skills you walk in the door with are strength and speed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wherever you lie on the spectrum of either of those categories is what, what you are as a fighter. That's all yeah. you know. Yeah. But, but so you got that stress level that goes up. And then I think the fact that people aren't actually striking each other in a jujitsu class, so they think that the intensity can go up. Yeah. And it's all good, but yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work like that because you still get hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes worse. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, since we're talking about jujitsu, I find jujitsu because it's literally like le- learning to swim again. I think jujitsu classes really benefit from a from a low student to instructor ratio what that means is yeah. most jiu-jitsu classes should have more instructors than what there are in there you know let's say there's eight there's eight students i feel like there should be four instructors i know some people why, think why do you cool. why do you feel this way because what? all these moves are so intricate and every time you practice and learn the new move there should be someone there watching you making sure you're doing it correctly I, i've been in many of these jiu-jitsu classes where let's say there's one instructor or two instructors per let's say 20 students and the instructor can't, you know, he doesn't have peripheral vision to see what every student's doing. And then a lot of times you'll practice a move and you might do it wrong. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. It's a good observation. I'll, I'm going to give you a play devil's advocate here mm-hmm. from, uh, and not really devil's advocate because I have a slightly different opinion just from teaching for the last 20, 21 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I understand the frustration I do, mm-hmm. but one thing that, that I think plays into more instructors to student, uh, a lower ratio is the, there's less collaboration among the students. Uh, the class. Okay. Um, and they don't feel like they get a voice. Mm-hmm. So you could have somebody that's been training four years and they're working with a white belt and it helps empower them and, and show them what they know mm-hmm. and what they've learned over that time. Because a lot of, a, a lot of difficulty with training over a long period of time in martial arts, especially when you've got people above you and you're, you always lose to them mm-hmm. is, you know, we look, we look up, 
We yeah. don't look down. Yeah. We don't look back often. So we get this constant uh, negative reinforcement, if you will. It's like, oh man, I just can't beat that person. I can't mm -hmm. beat her. I can't beat him. Um, but we don't look down and see, oh, look where we came from. Yeah. Yeah. And by working with beginners, that intermediate student starts to get empowered and feel like, hey, I do know things. I do. And not just in a rolling perspective, but in a helping perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not just tapping people out, choking them out or knocking them out. But yeah. hey, this is uh, this is how you do this, or this is how I solved that problem because I had that problem too. Mm. And instructors, man, as much as we want to say that this doesn't happen and we we don't want it to happen, you've been doing something for twenty years. I'm sorry, you do not remember what it was like mm. to to be a beginner. I see. It doesn't happen. So you're you're like working on this different level. And you think that you're dumbing it down. You think that you're helping. And sometimes you do, but having people that are closer in the spectrum to what it was that remember what it was like, or that have recently dealt with that problem. Cause you, you might've had that problem, but you had it 15 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can't help them. So just an alternate perspective there yeah. on, I know what you're saying. It'd be mm -hmm. great, but that's like private instruction all the time or semi-private. Yeah. And I 100% agree with you, and I appreciate you sharing that perspective. And I think maybe a good middle ground for what we're saying is, um, let's say there's 20 students in the class, right? And let's say there's two instructors. Right. Maybe yep. what, what the instructors can do is have some of the medium belts or the higher belts kind of be there. So not instructor-student yeah. ratio, but like, you know, like middle-level students also yeah. be there kind of watching. And on top of that, maybe there should be an emphasis every white belt or, you know, every new student should partner with a slightly more experienced student. So you should oh, never yeah. have generally, two I inexperienced that, students yeah. partnering together. Yeah. I, I generally try to do that uh, for another reason too, is when you have two new students together, it's like, it feels like sometimes the blind leading the blind for mm -hmm. one and two, the, you have more of a, a tendency to find people using too much strength and power because mm -hmm. they don't have, uh, they can't feel what, they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Feel that relaxed manner that an upper belt might have, or an, even a uh, intermediate seasoned intermediate will have. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just one other thought on what you said is, uh, and then I'd like to hear more about your perspective on this is um, we all, we're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I used to try to teach perfectly. And when I say that, not, not that I was trying to do something on my end that was perfect, meaning I was trying to teach perfection in every move that I taught students. And I ended up stressing them out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and created anxiety and, and so much pressure that, that you can't fail. Yeah. And success is a, a series of, comes from a series of failures, right? Yes. Yes. So what do you think about those, uh, those, little add-ons to what yeah, you're I 100% agree with you. And it's something I'm working on in myself because I'm one of those, because of my Kung Fu experience as a kid, I'm all about perfection and form. And yes. my coach, one of my coaches, Coach Paris, calls me out all the time. He's like, Jay, stop thinking so much. Just do the move. You know? Yeah. And even Sergio yeah. from Practical Combat's like, yeah, dude, Jerry, um, you know, a lot of your audience, or it's probably not just my audience, but a lot of audience criticizes Sergio for not being perfect, perfect in his 
form, but Sergio can kick most people's butt with Kung Fu. So like, right. what does that mean? And I, I agree with them. It's just like, sometimes the emphasis on form on perfection doesn't always help. And so coach Paris yeah. is always like, Jerry, don't just, just like kick, just punch, you know, just, 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 just do it and you'll learn. Don't, don't think yeah. so much about, okay, what angle, how do you, you know, all that, just, just, just learn it first. Learn the basics yeah. first and then you, you kind of like, you know, add the flair slash add the intricacies later. Yeah. It's under, it's an acceptance too, that we're, we're not a complete, uh, you know, life is, is a journey and we're get, we're improving as we go. Yeah. It's a process. We're not, we're not perfect and we're not done. We're not yeah. done in our twenties. We haven't even gotten started in our twenties. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the other thing that I will add to this is that what you said about make room for mistakes is so important yeah. too. And that, that, um, I would add the, when it comes to sparring and doing drills too. So like partner stuff, make room for mistakes too. And that's why I'm always doing neck exercises because sometimes if you're doing drills or sparring with a partner, you unfortunately have to prepare for them accidentally, let's say clipping you when they shouldn't, you know, this is a combat sport yeah. after all. Yep. Yes. You yep. want to be as safe as possible, but you have to prepare for unfortunate situations. So like, that's why I make sure if I ever have to do anything with a partner, my neck is really strong. And it's happened right. before where we're just doing drills. We're not even supposed to go hard. We're not even supposed to hit each other. You know, we're supposed to practice, you know, hitting gloves and stuff like that. But the guy just, you know, either he let his ego get, get in the way or maybe he just missed or he's just um, he's just scared of me for some reason. You know, I don't think I'm scared at all. And he <laughs> hits me, hits me in the face. You know, it happens, right? And one of the things that made me kind of, uh, maybe one of the evolutions in my thought process when it comes to combat sports is yes, getting hit is inevitable, even if you're not sparring, but it doesn't mean you have to take damage from it. So like once in a right. while, maybe someone's going to clip you in the face. That just means your neck has to be really strong. You have to know how to absorb the hit without getting any damage. And so this one incident where this guy I was just doing drills with, he was supposed to hit me, but he hit me in the face. And I didn't even feel it. I was like, wow, my neck got strong. He, he apologized yeah. immediately. He didn't want me to like hit him back. But I'm like, dude, my neck's strong. It's okay. But you weren't supposed to hit me, right? He's like, yeah, I wasn't supposed to hit you. Sorry, sorry. But yeah. so that's another thing that I 100% agree with you. And that's my kind of add-on to that. It's just like, if you're going to do combat sports, make sure there's certain things you take care of, how to balance your body, how to, you know, how the right parts of your body need to absorb hits and stuff like that. These are all things that a lot of times we're not taught when we first get into combat sports. Like I, I've talked to many jujitsu black belts. These are people who could kill me in two seconds, but some <laughs> of them can't even raise their hands like this because their bodies are yeah. that imbalanced. Some of them can't even do this because their necks are imbalanced. So well, the like, classic example is that of that is the weightlifter that, that becomes so large that they can't even swing their arms for a punch. It's like, yes. yeah, you look strong, but your your body is fighting itself when you try to go through movement. It's yeah. not yeah. not practical movement. And yeah. if you know everybody has their own choice, yeah. if you want to lift weights, um, by all means, go for it. If that's yeah. the physique you want, awesome, more power to you. Yeah. But from a functional level of body movement and range of motion. Mm, Unless you're balancing it with yoga while you're doing it, you're probably creating imbalances yeah. and deficiencies in your body. Exactly. And I think I think the evolution of martial arts and combat sports this century is going to be 
one, they're going to add more anatomy and sports medicine to it. But two, people are really going to start students out with things like, okay, how do you rebalance yourself? How do you train your upper back? So not only are your chest big, you know, how do you, yeah. how do you work your neck immediately? So by the time you're, you're taking hits, your neck is so strong that unless someone's like Mike Tyson, they're not going to hurt you too much. No, I think that's going to be an evolution in training method. Because there's so much imbalance I see in so many sports athletes. Everyone, like, I guess I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a dude who's trying to like start anything. So people tell me about their imbalances. Muay Thai fighters, yeah. jujitsu yeah. guys, always tell me, yeah, dude, you know, I got four neck posture or this part of me hurts for years. And then so right. much of it's just imbalance. It's not like they have like anything. I had a jujitsu black belt, world class jujitsu black belt. I'm not going to say who he is unless one day he comes on my channel and wants to talk about this. But he thought he had a herniated disc. And then I yep. felt around his neck because I had neck problems for a while. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't have a herniated disc. You just have neck imbalance like, like I do. But yours is way more imbalanced than me because you've had this imbalance right. for four or five years, whereas I had it for, you know, I had an injury which aggravated it. But I, I hadn't had that imbalance for that long. And I, I just gave him some of the neck exercises I've been doing. And then he got better. He doesn't feel numbness anymore. He thought he had a herniated disc. He was so scared. But like yeah, it's it's funny. Like, uh, there's I did a podcast a few months ago with a woman. She's a a doctor of chiropractic and uh, someone that I go to for myself to fix problems. Mm -hmm. in some of these imbalances, but um, it was about active recovery that we had this conversation mm -hmm. because again, to highlight your point, I don't know if if starting a class that when a beginner comes in and they say, Hey, I want to learn how to defend myself. Okay. Here first, we're going to go over this, this, uh, way that you hold your shoulders. I'm not sure that's going to be a good sell. Um, and that people are going to buy it. I, I agree with you. It's super important, but people have to understand that the, the why they need that. So until they tell they have a problem, sometimes they're not looking for the solution, Yeah, but, this, this next generation is a lot about learning about sports science, learning about active recovery, how you can't train every day. I don't care if you're 18 yeah. or you're 65, you train every day, you're going to get injured. You're going to destroy your body. Yeah. I know I've done it. I've lived it. Um, oh, I got to do something every day. I got to do something every day. You got to do something, but you don't have to do intensity every day. Yeah. And it's, the nutrition, the exercise, like supplementary exercises. Yeah. And a great video you could look up later is with um, Ronda Rousey and Mike Tyson Ooh. were on this talk show. And they they were talking to both of them and they asked Mike Tyson, God, I'm trying to remember the heavyweight that was winning at the time. They said, do you think you can beat you could beat him? And he said, in my prime? He said, I don't know, to be honest with you. He mm -hmm. said, the, the knowledge that we have today, and this video was probably from four or five years ago, the knowledge we have today about sports science and nutrition and the way these guys are eating, the way they're training, he said, it's totally different. He said, yeah. their, their level of athleticism is higher than when he was at his prime. Yeah. And his yeah. peak. The level of medical understanding is just evolving so quickly. And then with sports medicine, like you said, with definitely, athletes, definitely. It's just, everything's evolving so quickly. So did, did you, uh, when you were strengthening your neck to try to help, did you use the, um, 
because I used to try these for a while. Mm -hmm. um, the the neck strengthening exercises from wrestling. Um, so I talked to my physical therapist about this. And um, so there are people online, uh, very famous channels. I'm not going to say which channels that talk smack about those exercises. My physical yeah. therapist was more nuanced. He said, look, if your neck is strong enough and you do it slow and controlled enough, you can do those. And, you know, yeah. examples we're talking about like neck bridges and stuff like that. You can do that. Right. Just, yep. you know, don't yep. do them really fast like you, how my Tyson yeah, them. Yeah. Pin your forehead and then you yeah, rock you can, up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like those are totally fine. Just don't do them too fast because, you know, it's sensitive down there. Right. But, yeah. but there were like big YouTube channels who were taking the other extremes like, oh, you're just going to ruin your cervical spine. That, no, it's like as much as much as we like to say the neck is weak. It's not as weak as we think. Also, it's strong. Right. It's strong, yeah. but it's not strong as strong as, let's say, you know, other areas of our body. So I personally I have not done those wrestling exercises yet. Just because the neck exercise do seem to work okay for me now, but I am definitely not opposed to trying that. And in fact, yeah. um, one of the black belts in jiu-jitsu that we've been exchanging a lot of this like muscle imbalance information on, I was helping him balance his neck. He strengthened his neck so much that now he can do neck bridges. So next time he yeah. comes to visit me, I'm going to get him to teach me because you know we we've all been in the same place, which both of us had had neck imbalance, and both of us are fixing it. And he's at the point where he can do controlled neck bridges. So I want to learn from him. What what do you think caused your neck imbalance? Being a nerd. Because I didn't do martial arts in high school and college. And, you know, I got good enough grades to go into an Ivy League school. So what do you think I was doing all of high school? I was on the, on the you know, writing, you know, my neck yep. always in flexion yep. position. And then when the computer came into everyone's homes, right? And now I'm on the computer, most computer screens, nobody had the awareness of yet to make it eye level. So right. constant forward head pressure. And in college, I got my first laptop, man. And not only was I working on my laptop, I hated my college. I'm not even going to pretend. So you know what I was doing? I was gaming all the time in college. Yeah. You know, neck in yeah. a flexion position, always gaming. So that's where I developed the imbalance. And then I started working out senior year of college because I was like, I got to get out of this like slump. So I was working out, it was helping me so much, but I wasn't working out in a balanced way. I did too much chest. I did too much bench press. So like, yeah, especially so, if you have a neck imbalance, that's really bad. Yeah. And I remember I saw a picture of me senior year of college. I had muscle, but why? I was like, why does my head look so forward? And I didn't realize that was a warning sign. Gary, you're really imbalanced. Yeah. But, it, you know, it unfortunately took injuries for me to understand. When I went to the physical therapist after my second injury of my neck, this was this was last year in December, I believe. But he's like, Jerry, you have like zero upper back muscle. He was like a Korean guy who used – you know, your classic yeah. Korean. He's a little a little bit like caustic sometimes when he talks to you. And he, he literally in his, in his Korean neck and he's like, Jerry – don't be a nerd. <laughs> That's more of a Russian accent, but he literally said that, I guess, because he thought, you know, we're Asians, we could take that kind of like right. funny insult, but he literally just told him, develop your upper back muscles. He gave me some exercises, which didn't really help, but you know, he, he tried. And then he's like, don't be a nerd. I'm like, That's not really helpful to help me. It's but I more of a expertise of a physical therapist there instead yeah. of the general prim uh, practitioner. Yeah. 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 So just being a nerd. 
being honest, I'm, I was a huge nerd for many. Oh, years I, I've, you know, I've had many students come through, especially younger. Uh, they get, I call it cell phone head. They're just like, yeah, yeah. Flexion all the time. Yeah. And they can't, they can't get yeah. their head up. Yeah. There's 60 pounds of force pressure on your cervical spine. Yeah. When yeah. You're doing that this. Way. Yeah. And the discs fuse together. So they're doing surgeries on teenagers now that they used to only do on elderly. Yeah. Old elderly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, a lot we're getting of, off topic from martial arts. Yeah, um, I mean, we're talking about, you know, body imbalances, neck exercises, right. et cetera. So this is very important for martial arts. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yeah. So when we were a few minutes ago, we were talking about ego and sparring mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we really were talking about ego and drilling from the mm -hmm. sounds of it. Yeah. And, uh, but when we're sparring, do you want to elaborate on what, what you were thinking? I, I think for me, like whenever I've sparred, I just, I don't think I'm the type of person to spar with an ego. I, I probably, if, if I were younger, I would be, but I'm never the type of person to go extra hard or like, you know, give someone a hit or something or like muscle, even in GT, I don't muscle. And I guess right. I have to remind myself that other people are not like that. So not, not to say everyone's like that, but there are people who, you know, might have an ego when they spar. So I guess it's, it's, it's like, twofold one is um if you want to be an effective student drop the ego but two, always prepare for other people who have an ego right you, you can't yeah. just like, i'm gonna be nice other people are gonna be nice too yeah you can't assume that for sure yeah. it's um but you can't this is the thing that it takes two right yeah so um in the past i've had people come to me and complain that somebody was going too hard, too fast, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So before I, before I jump on that person, mm -hmm. I always ask, did you ask them to slow down? Yeah. Yeah. You ask them to stop. Yeah. And uh, maybe some people take that as victim blaming, but we're in, we're not playing Legos here. We're not exactly. we're trying to learn self-defense and part of yeah. learning self-defense is developing a positive self-image. Yeah. And a, a self-image that, hey, you know what? I can stand up and ask for this because I deserve it. Yeah. I could send my food back in a restaurant. I could tell somebody that their their product they gave me is crap. Whatever yeah. it is, instead of just taking it. Yeah. And but it doesn't mean that our first reaction either, uh, to your point, like you're just not like this, but some people are that. Um, and I had issues with this as well from my past is if somebody used to be, if somebody hit me too hard, I would just instantly get mad mm. and, uh, and want to retaliate. It's like, or maybe your solution in saying something is too aggressive or too angry instead of just politely saying, Hey, do you think you could slow it down? Now, if you're asking them to slow down, you're asking them to not hit as hard and they continue to do it. Then that's up to the instructor to now um, deal with that person. Cause they're just not, they don't belong there. Yeah. I mean, what did the a few years ago? I learned this great thing I stole from Muay Thai was, mm -hmm. uh, in, in Thailand, if somebody comes in and they, they're going too hard, too fast, uh, they won't fight with them. They won't spar. They look at them and they say they're too amateur. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I think that's great. You're too amateur. You can't, you can't spar yet. You can't control yourself. Yeah, you can't control yeah. yourself. What business do you have sparring? Cause you're going to hurt somebody. Yeah. And, uh, the stuff we know now we, you were talking about advances in medicine. Mm 
-hmm. holy crap, the stuff that we know now about concussions yeah. and CTE from 10 years ago, it's like one hit in the head can give you permanent lasting brain damage, depending yeah. on the person that gets hit. Yeah. You really want to screw around in the sake, in the name of, of martial arts, blasting each other in the head. I, I really hope we do even more research into all that. I remember um, 2018, I learned from a, a PhD guy who told me that even people who play soccer, yep, you know, you don't yep. think of soccer as a CTE sport, but it is not yeah, only heading the ball. Running, yeah, heading the ball exactly. Yep. Um, especially now that I've done so much kind of balancing on my neck, and of course my neck is still. It's much better looking at the mirror now. I have a mirror right there, but like it yeah. still slightly has imbalances, right? I still have a little bit of forward deck pressure, but again, it's like I've developed this for like 10 years. So of course it's gonna take a while for it to correct itself Absolutely. completely. But you know, as I started looking at neck exercises and rebalancing my neck, I started looking at left way, right? Because in left way, they're headbutting each other. So I always thought about okay, how do you headbutt without like hurting yourself, right? And a lot right. of it has to do with really thick neck and lining up the structure of your yeah. head in a way. So, you know, the force isn't going into your brain, you know, it's getting absorbed in other areas. So you're not like, you're not shaking your brain while you headbutt people, right? You know, if you headbutt people like this, you're going to shake your own brain, right? You know? So right. if you look at how the headbutt, a lot of times it's either like a very gentle, almost like push, or it's like you align your structure and you go in. So it's like the whole body supporting your head. Hmm. But the reason I'm mentioning this is if you look at how soccer players head the ball, a lot of times they're not doing that. They're not lining yep. the structure up correctly. So yep. now if I suddenly understand that's why there's a lot of CT in soccer players because nobody taught them how to hit the ball correctly with their heads. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, And to go back to how dangerous it is in the training process with, with what we do with combat sports. A few years ago, I had um, an interaction with a, a gentleman that was get, he wouldn't do martial arts. He was doing CrossFit mm -hmm. and he wouldn't do it anymore. Cause he was training MMA at this, mm -hmm. uh, just balls to the wall, blast each other in the head, uh, gym, Ugh. local gym. I won't name names, but every time they go to class, they were full contact, full sparring. And he quit after not one, not two, the third time, that he lost days, hmm. meaning he had days go by that he could not remember anything. And the last time it happened, it was a three-day stint. He had three full days that he couldn't remember anything. Wow. And then he gave it up and he wouldn't go back. <clears throat> wow. That's what concussions will do and uh, CTE. I mean, we don't have the – I don't think they've started doing as – the autopsies on fighters yet. Exactly. I, I, had a, I have a friend who is, almost went through the same exact situation. He trained at an MMA gym for a while where they would just spar her hard all the time. And he's older now. His wife just is pregnant now. So, you know, he's about to have his first kid in a few months. But he's like, wow, yeah, if knowing what I knew now, I wouldn't have done all that hard sparring no, in the MMA gym. I know. I did it too. I, yeah. I mean, we used to just blast each other. And then, and, he, and I'm guilty of it early on. With my school and my students, I did the same thing. I made those mistakes because we didn't know any better. Yeah, yeah, That's the way you're taught. You just you teach other people. And then in 20, 2010 was really when you started seeing the football evidence come out yeah. of uh, brain damage. And 
more research being done. Yeah. So yeah. I started changing. I took everybody's helmets away in my school and the speed went down and the intensity went down, nice. but it's systemic. We have to, as coaches, as trainers, we have to be super aware of the dangers of that. It's, it's a fine line between stuff like six inch rules and point sparring, right? Yeah. You know that it's like, okay, well that's useless. That's training somebody <laughs> yeah. to fail. Yeah. To fail. Uh, between that and creating a, a scenario that's got pressure yeah. and resistance yeah. without people getting injured. It's yeah. a su super, super hard balance. Yeah, I agree, man. And I think you hit at something very important, which is most coaches are just teaching how they were taught. Right. And yeah. I think as a coach, this is the same analogy to why Chinese martial arts often gets the, um, the bad end of the stick is that you can't just always stick to tradition. As a coach, yeah. as a professor or whatever, it's your responsibility to really look at the latest in research, yeah. in science, in training methods and improve it, right? Because if oh, you're just teaching how really you were taught, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's the best. And you know, people criticize a lot of the Eastern martial arts because they're always getting beat up by MMA fighters, but you can apply that same methodology to a lot of other, you know, combat sports. It's it's like they're maybe they're fighting effectiveness is better, but it doesn't mean their yeah. longevity is good. So it's like, I, a, I had a great conversation years ago with the uh, gentleman that Aaron Blake used the first black belt in the state of Maine for BJJ. Uh -huh. And, uh, and he's also, he was a physical therapist mm -hmm. and we were talking at a, a origin training camp where you, they get a bunch of black belts together uh -huh. And at the time it was 10. I don't know how many they do now, but um, I haven't been in a couple of years and you just have a four day uh, intense training sessions and um, seminars from mm -hmm. these black belts. It's awesome. And mm -hmm. Aaron was there and he was uh, doing some PT on the side with people. Uh -huh. And We were talking about Tai Chi. And I said, um, I was still teaching that a few days a week at the time. And uh -huh. I said, Aaron, what do you think about Tai Chi as far as for athletes, for recovery? And um, he said, I think it's awesome. He said, I wish I had done it years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a guy that he's like black belt and BJJ. He's a PT. So he's definitely has the credentials and the, the background to be looking at this. But he said that style of movement and just putting your body through those motions on off days in between intense rolling sessions would be extremely beneficial to people. Mm -hmm. But we get, like you're saying, people just rip on Chinese martial arts and, and put it all in this category. And to its own fault, I fully agree. Like people mm -hmm. have been getting away with stuff for a long time and pretending they could fight when they couldn't. Mm -hmm. But that stuff doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I just, I just think every coach has a responsibility to to get informed about a lot of stuff. I mean, people are putting their, people are putting, you know, not just their safe, yeah, their safety, but like not just like their martial arts safety, but also their health, like in your hands when they train with you, right? So I think it's right. like every coach needs to realize, okay. As a coach, I should do research on the body. I should do research on the brain and stuff like that. It should be a, I mean, uh, that's requiring a lot of, about the coach, but you're being paid money to like train people. So you should know a little bit about what happens when you get hit in the head and stuff like that. Especially that. And yeah. there's, 
nowadays there's no excuse. That's almost mm -hmm. negligence. If yep. you refuse to look at the evidence that's out there on uh, head injuries and yeah. there's ways to do it. And it sounds like you're experiencing that and you've got some good coaches yourself because, and that's hard to find. And yeah. you, you've got to stay away from bad gyms where yeah. that's the way they train. Yeah. Russian wrestlers don't train like that full intensity all the time. They're doing soft, like flow drills. And yeah. um, you, a few years ago, saw some major UFC fighters coming out and saying they don't spar in the gym. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Because they can't afford to get hit in the head all the time. Yeah, exactly. But we have a saying in our school, we've done a lot of work on that stuff with uh, slow to learn, fast to test. Yes. And if you're trying to test every time you are learning, then you're stressed out and you're not in ideal learning receiving mode, right? Yeah, agreed. You're, you're now panicking. Yeah. So you're not going to remember what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. Dude, you're, I love doing stand-up now. Yeah, I'm doing a little. I'm doing a little bit of boxing and Muay Thai. Nice. And um, um, my Muay Thai coach has he, he started out in traditional, like um, you, what you call TMA. So uh, he he takes some of the TMA aspects and puts it in. So we do some body conditioning that's probably a little bit more nice. from karate and Kyokushin especially, and iron you know, body stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. So we're we're you know. Conditioning the thighs yep. and the ribs and the and stuff like I that. And that in Western boxing too. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. Medicine balls. Uh huh. Mm hmm. That's what they were for. Dropping them on the abs, getting Ooh. conditioned. Boom, boom, boom. Interesting. Getting the the diaphragmatic response down, so when you get hit, it's that uh, instead yeah. of uh, just getting no the wind knocked out of you. Exactly. I did not know that. So medicine balls have evolved in purpose too, because most people don't use them for that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they, they're not used for their intended purpose anymore. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And, the um, uh, my, my Muay Thai coach, you know, we, we very light spar. So, you know, he's like, we can always dial up in the future, but as of now, that's not the point, right? That's right. not the point of smarring. Right. It's not to hurt each other, just to work on, see where the timing is, see what, where's the holes in the technique and stuff like that. And like, just, just from, just from training with him, I can tell just being tapped very lightly. Oh yeah. My hands weren't there. I, I don't need to yeah. get hit very hard to understand my, my hands weren't there. You know, <laughs> you need, you don't need to go home forgetting the entire class. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, where am I? How do I get to my car? How do I yeah. find my home? Yeah. yeah. It's, I border, um, borderline believe like the test, we have that saying slow to learn, fast to test. And there's obviously the higher in experience or the higher in belts you go, the more, uh, you, you can go faster with, yeah. with control. Yeah. But, um, testing is competing. Yeah. Like yeah. go to, go enter a cage match, go, to a BJJ tournament, go to a wrestling match, go to a golden gloves. If you want to ramp it up to that level, but don't hurt the people that got to go to work the next day. Yeah, exactly. Provide for their families. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And then the other thing, since we're also on this topic, the difference between kind of training and combat sports and then self-defense, right? Yeah. I think that sometimes is not emphasized in a lot of schools even because right. You know, if, if you're just, let's say, boxing or doing Muay Thai all the time, sometimes the coach isn't also 
spending a little time talking to the student about, okay, what if someone starts stuff with you on the street? What do you do? Like I, I and I think there, I was talking to someone, not yesterday, or was it yesterday? It was on Saturday, Saturday about kind of like, you know, the importance of things like vocal de-escalation and stuff like this. And yeah. Yeah. That's something that's often glossed over or not thought of, yeah. right? Cause you're so focused on the physical response yeah. to yeah. a violent situation instead of the verbal. Yeah. And in fact, I had an incident like this. And in fact, my Muay Thai coach was there with me when this happens. And this is actually a really cool example to, to talk about. And I don't know the right answer to this. So that's why I wanted to present it to you and all the viewers so they can weigh in on, on this. So I had a picnic um, with a bunch of people, mostly my church group, but my Muay Thai yep. coach came anyways, because I love my Muay Thai coach. And we were all sitting, you know, it was a bunch of us and Muay Thai coach with his girlfriend, some of the church group where they were all just sitting. And this really sketchy looking homeless guy, probably on drugs, comes over to us. And yep. he's not like just like far away. He's literally walking this close where my hand is, is literally this close walking behind all of us. Oh yeah. And he's looking, he's looking at everyone and he's looking at the food. And so I'm the only one because I'm, I've been in situations like this. I immediately, I, I kind of look at him. I'm not threateningly looking at it. I look at him like, I'm trying to figure out what you're doing. Right. And then yeah. he's kind of walking around. He doesn't do anything. He walks away. And then one of the church members was like, dude, was it just me or was that really sketchy? And uh, we're all like, yeah. And my Muay Thai coach, you know, because he's like six foot four and he, he's got, he has a black belt in jujitsu on top of being a black belt in like five other striking arts. So he's like, yeah, I'm not worried. If he's not saying anything, I'm not going to do anything. And so, but like, I was the only one who like, I was paying attention. I, I, I wasn't even like, you know, most of them had him in the periphery. I'm like, I, I I'm facing you. Right. Yeah. So, Later on, he came back, and at that point, my Muay Thai coach left. So yeah. now it's like I'm the only one there with martial arts experience now. So I'm like, now I don't have a wingman if anything happens. Right. So this time, right. the homeless guy is doing that thing. He's, he's really close to everyone. Like, he could literally punch people in the head. So now I'm not letting him get to the back of me. He comes to the back of me. I immediately – I face him. I like – I even – I'm prepared to, like, you know, get do a technical <laughs> stand-up. And that makes him react. He's like, you okay, man? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, I'm not going to steal you. You know that? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but like, so, so I'm telling this story because there's two things, right? One is, do you ignore a situation like this and hope it goes away? And if you decide not to ignore it, how do you react in a way that doesn't escalate it, right? And I, I think about, okay, all I did was, I don't want you behind me. I'm not trying to fight him. I'm not even... Right. I'm not even going like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? I'm literally like, okay, I see you. You're you're not gonna you're not gonna come behind me. And it got right. him to react, but in a way it it worked because he never came back again. Once he saw that, you know, I'm prepared for whatever the f he's trying to do. So like, yeah, I'm not well, saying I did the right thing, but this is just what I did. No, it is right from the perspective, you know, uh, victim choosing, if you will, when it, when it comes to bullying in schools too. Uh, or selecting targets for muggings. Yeah, people want an easy target. Yeah, but it's not a conscious decision necessarily. They're just subconsciously picking out off of vibes and body language. We're yeah. animals, right? Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we teach in self defense when we teach it is body uh, posture. Yeah, yeah. posture is huge because yeah. if your body language is like, 
Yeah. And you're walking down the street with your head down or you're looking around like you're, you're afraid. No. You're bringing yourself, putting yourself as a target. You're promoting yeah. yourself as a target instead of your head up, yeah. your chest out, walking around with confidence, even if you don't feel like it. So you absolutely did the right thing is just making sure that the person becomes aware that you're not that compliant. Yeah. You're not going to just be rolled over. Yeah. And that's, yeah. An, that was enough to deter him from the sounds yeah. of it. And it's interesting because he, the, the homeless guy never talked to anyone or the first time he came around was just like, yeah. almost like a, almost like a predator stalking a prey almost. Yeah. But the second time, the moment I reacted a little bit, he, he talked to me to kind of like try to see if I would be afraid of him. So it's like, yes, I got him to verbalize certain things, but it also, it was almost like I verbally de-escalated it because, you know, I was like, no, I'm not a threat to you. As long as you're not a threat to me, that's basically why I communicated to him right, and he, right. he went away. So yeah, it's, it's like something I, I wondered because my, my Muay Thai coach didn't do anything. He literally just sat there and he was just like, okay, I don't care. But he, he let yeah. the homeless guy get behind him. So in a self-defense situation, I think I did a better job than my Muay Thai coach, even though my Muay Thai coach could kick me in the face and kill me. I'm serious. That's how, that's how, that's how much his kicks are. He's that, yeah. he's that powerful, but he let the homeless guy get behind him. And he wasn't worried because, you know, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. If the guy does anything, he could probably like spin around real quickly and do something to the guy. But, you know, I wasn't taking that chance. Uh, well, let me throw this in the mix. What if it mm -hmm. was a knife? Yeah, exactly. And that was the first thing. I thought about when he came over, I'm like, what if this guy has a knife? Yes. There were like 10 of us there sitting there with a, you know, picnicking. We could probably like restrain him, but you know, what if he has a knife? Am I going to be the one to be stabbed first before we restrain him? <laughs> Look at the stories from a few years ago. Like the, we had mass shooting, we have mass shootings here in the U S and yeah. uh, people say that it's not to get into a political firestorm here. I'm sure I'm going to get flack for saying this, but that it's not, you don't need a firearm to do mass killings yeah. and we had shortly thereafter, there was a subway in China where somebody went in with a machete and got like 79 people. Yes. yes yeah. It happened. It happened a few times in China where people with machetes just started wielding on. Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get a blade and, the, and it's not like everybody's going to get, have time to say, okay, let's all rush them at once. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's reaction is to start to, to panic and yeah. fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. Or to fight yeah. or flight or hide or, right. or panic or freeze, right? right? Fight or flight or freeze or or hide or seek help, right? right? Those are the yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah. It's never it's, fight uh, or flight, man. There's there's five responses. It's not just two. Yeah. So having having someone behind you and then expecting that the crowd is gonna take them. Have you ever taken a CPR class? I have, but this was in high school. So it's been too what many the, years. One of the first things they tell you is if you have to perform CPR and there are other people around, you look at someone directly and you say, you call 911. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't just say someone calls 911 yeah. because they've they've shown that in groups, humans just don't react. Yeah, like diffusion of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, psychology, diffusion of responsibility. Diffusion of responsibility. Thank you. That's a good, good term. Um, yeah, just somebody else will take care of it. Yep. It's not yeah. on me. So you yeah. have to assign somebody the task yeah. to get it done. Yeah. 
And yeah. um, I've heard that solution too. Apparently that is the best solution when there's a crowd and there's a diffusion of responsibility. You delegate, yes. you call the police, you help me get control his legs, you, you know, give me a napkin or something. Yeah, in a CPR yep. example. So yeah, there was a really horrific example of this. Uh, oh, man, I, th I think it was about five years ago now in California, um, a girl at the, her prom mm -hmm. was uh, ga uh, gang raped outside mm -hmm. of the prom in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And people were recording it on their side. Wow. No one called 911. Wow. It is despicable pathetic example of of human beings being apathetic or shirking responsibility what did you call it uh diffusion of responsibility yeah, diffusion of responsibility that you would allow something like that to happen yeah. in front of you and i mean it, it, that to me is like one of our weak points yeah yeah race if that's the way we behave so yeah you have to assign tasks to people and um, Randy, I'll give you another psychology concept, which goes hand in hand with this, which is called pluralistic ignorance. And uh, it applies a lot to these situations where there's ambiguity, because the, the concept of pluralistic ignorance is one, there's ambiguous information and yep. there's ambiguity from the action. So here, here's what I mean by that. In that case you were talking about where, let's say, you know, there's some horrible, despicable thing going on, but everyone's recording. So if I'm a third party watching this, there's this ambiguous situation, which is there's this thing going on, but people are recording, right? There's this ambiguity. Why aren't people reacting more? So what I'm interpreting from people's actions is that it's not a big deal. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's what pluralist, I mean, it's, it's more complicated than that, but that's what pluralistic right, ignorance is. It's you interpret from everyone's actions something in information that's not true. So um, applying it to the case of the homeless guy and me and my friends, right? Because everyone wasn't reacting, even though everyone in their heart was concerned by interpreting how everyone was just kind of seemed chill. Right. Everyone was interpreting that the group didn't think it was a big deal. Yeah. But, and, but the same exact solution of what you said about how to deal with diffusion of responsibility is exactly how you get rid of pluralistic ignorance, which is communication. Right. That one girl who's like, dude, is it just me or was that really sketchy? She tried to communicate right. and that raised the alarm of everyone. Right. Yes. So, so like it, it's the exact same thing, but sometimes uh, diffusion of responsibility and pluralistic ignorance, they go hand in hand. Sometimes they're both happening. Sometimes one's causing the other, if that makes sense. So it's like oh, sometimes absolutely. to understand yeah. diffusion of responsibility, you have to understand the concept of pluralistic ignorance. Well, it's funny. I'm, I'm sure that somebody could, or maybe already has, look into the sociology or the change in evolution with modern day society where we're not as tribal. Yeah. And so if, if you went back, thousands of years and you look at that if that were the tribe and there were a stranger that came up around you you would yeah. all be in alarm you would yeah, all be yeah. what's going on here yeah but because we have these new social norms or expectations or the way yeah. we behave somehow that nobody reacts to that weird behavior yeah and yeah everyone just kind of uh uh yeah until it's too late yeah until it's too late yeah and so 
I, I had to tell the story that I experienced because again, yeah. I feel like I probably should have reacted even quicker. I should have communicated with the group even quicker, but I didn't because my Muay Thai coach was there. I felt like if there's some person who's really prepared, he is. You diffuse the responsibility yeah. to him. Yeah, exactly. And, but it's like knowing what I know now, it's like, I should have immediately been like, Hey man, you, you see what's going on? Are you concerned? I should have communicated or, with him earlier. Or you could have looked at the guy and said, Hey, how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a, I see you. Yeah. I see you. I know you're here. Yeah. And it's not and threatening. It's just literally verbal de-escalation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it establishes a rapport versus, yeah. Hey, what do you want? Yeah, exactly. What are you doing over here? You know, yeah. and, and that's a little bit more extreme depending on the circumstance, but yeah. Is your yeah. background in psychology? I took a lot of psych classes in college, but it's, yeah. I'm not a psych person per se. What was your degree in? If you don't mind uh, me asking. Philosophy, politics, economics. So nice. I'm a generalist when it comes to social sciences. So I do yeah. know more about psychology than most people, but that's not my focus. I just know a right. lot about social sciences. That's why I have all these like terms in my head and stuff like that. Yeah. No, it's good. You taught me yeah. a couple of things today. Yeah. That's yeah. I always like that. I like yeah. learning new yeah. things. So appreciate it. And the reason I bring this up, going back to the self-defense talk is that I think these are things that I think a lot of martial artists need to think about more. My one of my jiu-jitsu black belt friends, he was attacked in his car once. He had a mm -hmm. seatbelt on because he never trained with seatbelts on. He got stuck in a seatbelt and he ate three punches to the face. Yep. So he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he even told me, he's like, okay, someone stopped it. And then once he recovered from being dazed a little bit, he took off his seatbelt and then he, he got out of his car. He's like, Yeah, hey, you want to go again? Yeah. <laughs> but but it's you like want to go again. It could have been the the end if if it had gone wrong or he got yeah. hit in the wrong target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's so like he got a do-over, which he was lucky. Yeah, he was lucky. Exactly. But um, I sent him because one of my one of my viewers, shout out to Sundown TE, who he trains a lot of car defense, he trains a lot of shiv work, so a lot of like knife stuff. You know, yeah. not like I do a block on the knife, but literally like they have full, full, like protective gear. They're like really going at it. Right. Yeah. So I told him about this. He immediately made a video, which I'm going to feature soon on. Okay. What do you do if someone attacks you on your car and you have your seatbelt on, you know, yep. a lot of the, a lot of the pummeling you can actually do with the seatbelt, right? Because you can pummel the seatbelt to the back of you. So now it's not restraining you. But if you haven't trained that, if you haven't trained that, right. The first thing you want to do is to react like this. And now the seatbelt, you know, because it's, it reacts to tension. You're stuck, right? You don't think about right. pummeling the seatbelt to the back, at least the, the part that goes across you. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, but this is stuff that it's self-defense. It'll save your life. But most people don't train. Most people don't train, whether they're a black belt and whatever, in jujitsu and kyokushin and taekwondo, whatever, they don't train this stuff. Well, here as kind of a, it's a good way to finalize, uh, wrap this up is, uh, again, this is something anecdotal from my own experience. I've taught self-defense courses for years, mm -hmm. separate from my jujitsu classes, my boxing classes, because it's, as you know, self-defense and martial arts are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Martial arts is somebody training over a period of time to be better at self-defense. Yeah. It should be incorporated in your martial arts, yeah. uh, but you're, you're going to a higher level because you enjoy it and you want to be able to handle situations, no matter how big somebody is or how strong and different 
different scenarios you might find yourself in where self-defense should be streamlined and not require years of training. You should be able to teach somebody self-defense in a weekend, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and we, we taught courses like this for years, mm -hmm. but here's the problem. When you own a school, a martial arts school, the perception, and I made this mistake, I've seen it, is I, I like you, I, from the sounds of it, I do multifaceted training, more mm -hmm. eclectic, like, yes, I do jujitsu. Yes, I do boxing, but I also do active recovery. I also do uh, hardcore, high-intensity boxing, kickboxing workouts for strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. And I try to, and try to offer that try spent years trying to offer that full spectrum to the public like mm -hmm. hey we have tai chi for those of you that want to do that we have this we have that but the perception from the outside from a person a consumer is that i don't know what you do mm. i mean i don't go when i started jujitsu my jujitsu teacher does jujitsu mm. i didn't go to my jujitsu teacher because he teaches yoga too yeah which yeah. he doesn't but that's i wouldn't travel I used to drive two hours to class and two hours back. And I didn't do that because he was doing Muay Thai and BJJ. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do BJJ with him. So yeah. I actually stopped my self-defense program because to the general public, it's like, well, what do you do? Yeah. Do you do boxing? Do you do jujitsu? It's hard enough to convince people that you do two martial arts, right? Yeah. Never mind. Uh, yeah. We also do streamlined very effective self-defense training and that disconnect there makes it problematic as a person who's trying to provide those services to the general public. It's like, where do you distinguish? Okay. You've got these people over here that that's what they do all the time. Self-defense. I, mm -hmm. I forget the names of some of the, the programs out there, but that's all they do. Mm -hmm. Right. Versus oh, there's that martial arts karate guy over there. And he does a, a free weekend, uh, self-defense course and what's, you know, there's a big difference there. Yeah. Not only in probably the possibly what is being offered, because I've seen self-defense programs that that's all they do in their garbage. Mm -hmm. and I've seen uh, people that do other martial arts that do just a short seminar and it's the most effective stuff you've seen in your life. Yeah. So I've seen it flipped up. But the perception from the consumer is not there. Yeah. Which one are you going to choose? Yeah. Are you going to choose yeah. the karate guy offering a free self-defense class for two hours? Or are you going to try to go to that six-week course that's being done by the experts? Yeah. Yeah. These are these are complicated issues, man. And thinking about it from another perspective, too. A lot, just like you said, a lot of those people that are teaching those self-defense, not a lot, but there are people who teach self-defense courses that the self-defense is garbage, right? So yeah. the perception in the consumer's mind is I want to go to the specialist because at least the specialist knows what that specialty, he knows right. exactly what he's doing. But right. if the specialist is being general and, you know, we see a lot of examples of this, you know, strikers trying to teach grappling, grapplers trying to teach striking. Oh my goodness. Right. So it's like right. the moment the specialist tries to be general, then a lot of things just fall off the cliff immediately. Yeah, so it, it's true. It's true. So I, 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 I get it from the, so no, go ahead, go ahead. 
I was going to tell you this, uh, this quick story of, we had a private high school that we used to teach our self-defense course at every year. And when I first started the program with them, they were using, again, I won't mention names. They were using this very popular self nationwide self-defense uh, program that was offered. They became kind of franchises, if you will, not technically franchises, but um, maybe there was a licensing fee for using their name. And they had instructor training courses and all this very high level, but they were paying them thousands and thousands of dollars to come in once a year and offer this course. But the course was two nights a week for 16 weeks. And I looked at it and I, I knew somebody who worked there and they had, they got me a meeting with the Dean of students. And I mm -hmm. went in to meet with the Dean of students and I explained to him what we do. Mm -hmm. I said, listen, we're going to come in. We're going to do eight hours. And in that eight hours, we're going to cover the most common types of attacks you're, you're willing to face and hold standing up. We're going to do a section on the ground. And then we're going to do verbal situations, like how to de-escalate situations and then escalate if the verbal is not working. And then we're going to do a section on scenarios where we put suits on we're going to put you put the girls in a car and they're going to get carjacked we're going to go in and do close quarter stuff in rooms so this is what we're going to do he's like what do you mean it's eight hours i said that's all i need we're going to do it if we could do it over uh one day or we can do it over two days he's like what we're doing 16 weeks i said i don't need 16 weeks and if somebody needs 16 weeks then their stuff isn't going to work because under stress, you have to be able to remember this stuff under stress and something that, Oh, Hey, I took a self defense course four years ago. Okay. Then that, that one course you took something, something, at least one to two things should have stuck in your head for four years yeah. that you can get you out of a bad situation. Not something, hey, I got to go take that course every year. Uh, I got to take that course for six months yeah. or even 16 weeks. It's like, what do you mean 16 weeks? What do you have to spend 16 weeks, uh, three hours a night, twice a week? So six wow. hours a week for 16 weeks they were training. And I could not convince this guy. This is the point of my story, getting off track. I could not convince him that I only needed eight hours. So the first year that we did it, we actually had to blow the course out. The, the shortest I could get them to agree to was a month, wow. twice a week for a month. And then over the next few years, I was able to finally weed him down to a, a single one day, eight hour uh, session. Yeah. But it took me a few years to crack that that shell because they had been pre-programmed that you need this extensive uh, library of skills that are super technical. Yeah. You know, Randy, but, I love what you said earlier about self-defense. Okay. Self-defense courses, you should five, 10 years down the line, still be able to use or remember two, one or two things from that. That's an effective course right there. I love what you said there. Yeah. So true. So true. If it's if you take like a month of it and like you can't even use any of that two years down the line because you need to practice it, probably that self-defense course was not the most effective for self-defense, not for combat sports, not for martial arts, for self-defense. I I'll uh I'll bear my uh my sins here 
for the general public, the benefit of the general public. I was part early in my training with Mantis. I was also uh, parallel training in Chinna, mm -hmm. all the joint locking yes. in the Chinese martial arts. And uh, I had been doing that. I, I changed schools. I moved to another state. So I changed schools. I was uh, training at and became an instructor at this new school, but it was all forms based training. And then at the end of the class, we would spar, but the sparring was like full, like beat the snot out of each other with mm. boxing gloves, no coaching, no technique, Oof. no connection between what you were training before with what you were sparring. And this college, it was in a city and this college approached the instructor, that main instructor about, offering a self-defense course for the college girls and he agreed to it mm -hmm. but he didn't know how to do it and mm -hmm. he had never done one so he called he pulls me aside with this other uh instructor last minute the day the night it was happening like no notice randy i want you to go over and teach them self-defense i said what now that i would only been this this was when i had been training for four years i think so uh three years three almost four and i said i don't would, i don't know how to teach them self-defense what are you talking about yeah I said you know all that chin uh, stuff just just go teach them that <laughs> and i shamefully admit that i did teach them that because that's what i was asked to do yeah i should have said no yeah but um that's how I know what bad self-defense is because I did it. Mm. And all those joint locks take, <laughs> take years yeah. and years to perfect to the point that you can even hope to use them. Yeah. And they don't usually teach you with proper feeder drills. So you can't even get them to work. Even if you know how to lock somebody's joint, it's like, yeah. 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 Okay. Good luck pulling that off with a full speed, full contact, a self-defense situation. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So I'm guilty of doing the same thing, Jerry. Mm -hmm. That's how I know. I'm, I'm guilty too. One time um, when I was back home in China, <laughs> I tried to teach some like beginner jujitsu drills to my nephews and nieces. And then I realized, yeah, they're not remembering any of that. You know, it's like, so I've, I've been there, but now it's like, I have a neighbor with a little kid and the little kid often likes to like, like, uh, play fight with me. So now yeah. I take that lesson of like teaching bad self-defense. And I think about what can the kid remember immediately? And right. one thing I taught the kid was don't let me get to your back. And now the kid never lets me get to his back. So I think that right. was more effective self-defense than yeah. what I did with my nephews, which is, yeah. oh yeah, if someone moves your legs this way, this is how you maintain open guard. I, yeah. ta I taught that this stuff to my nephews. you break your fingers. Yeah. yeah. But like the kid, like the, the, this kid, he, he's only like four or five, man. But now he never lets me get to his back. That's, I think I effectively taught him a good self-defense lesson right there. He never lets he did. me get Absolutely. Yeah. That sticks with him. Yeah, it, and he's not using jujitsu per se or some advanced technique. He just learns I'm not never getting to his back, so he's running around, always turning in a way that I can't get to his back. I think I taught yeah. him something effective, you know, or like I, I taught him <laughs> very quickly, you know, like use your hand somehow to protect your face. So now, oftentimes, I see him protecting his face. He's not doing it completely. Going back to the beginning of the conversation here, he's not doing it completely like a boxer or like a karate guy, but he's protecting his face. 
So I think I gave him yeah. two good lessons. Never let someone get to your back and then protect your face. <laughs> right. Much yeah. better than here's how you punch exactly the right way, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Here's how you lock somebody's shoulder in yeah. 15 different ways that yeah, you'll yeah. never remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, dude, I, I love I love that like the two of us have such different experiences, but we came to many of the same conclusions with a lot of stuff. That's why I love this was such yeah. an enjoyable conversation. That's why I'd love to talk to you some more in the future, too. I agree. I agree. We'll have to do it again in the future, Jerry. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate you stopping by today. It's probably a good place to wrap up and mm -hmm. we'll have to save uh, our other thoughts for future conversations because they're always good. I Definitely. enjoyed it. Dude, thank Randy, you very much. Man. It was such an honor. Thank you, Randy. All right. Awesome.